Hi guys, here we are with uh, Caitlin Bixby, uh, Head of Product Marketing at Virtualytics. Uh, Caitlin, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Good. It's just, you know, super busy, super busy June so far. And actually, it's really hot here in London. So, uh, um, <laughs> yeah, actually, I'm not complaining, though, because I uh, really do I like I do like London when it's, when it's good weather, which is very rare. But um, yeah, we're not here to talk about that. We are here to talk about uh, virtual analytics. Um, so why don't we just kick off by finding out a bit more about the company, what it is you guys are doing, mission, the mission, you know, the overarching mission, should I say? Well, our overarching mission is uh, basically to help people do more with data and and use data in a way that will actually have a positive impact on the world. We believe that there are. Um, from you know medical research to you know environmental changes to you know doing business better with uh, with analytics and data it are all possibilities and we we hope to be a part of it. We've already done some work with some medical research and uh, government agencies that we're really proud of. Uh, what we do though is we uh, we are an AI powered AI guided data exploration uh, with the goal to either you know learn something new, get better insight, or ultimately develop really powerful AI models that can be deployed to uh, to automate or predict uh, various activities and guide people to to make better decisions. And it's obviously like a very uh, hot topic right now. Yes. Uh, how how are you guys doing it? How, how's it uh, affected your business? <laughs> uh, well, it's a very exciting place to be right now. You know, that's all anybody talks about is AI. Uh, it's but what's quite funny, of course, everybody's very focused on the chat GPT side. Chat GPT has made AI suddenly feel real, I think, to a lot of people to whom it hadn't felt real before. Um, which on the one hand says very really exciting, gives us a lot to talk about, but it also a little requires a little bit of, of redirection. You know, when uh, we talk about using AI to explore data, uh, some people actually hadn't really thought about that before. That's always sort of been in the realm of the data scientist inside their their notebooks and to explain it to the broader audience that you can you know, use AI to develop use cases for other AI it kind of you know, blows people's minds. So, um, we're having more conversations, more exciting conversations, but there's still a lot of education to be to be done as Chat GPT has sort of captured the imagination uh, of everybody out there. But, and again, for for, uh, for people who are new to this area, what does that really mean when you talk about like exploring AI? Okay, well, so it's exploring with AI. So uh, data exploration is the basically, you know, the art of of taking all your data and and finding out what's going on inside there. What are the connections? Where where what is driving what? Um, analytics is a field that's been around for um, you know fifty years, really, and and it already was an emerging. Um, so some te technological tools, you know, even from Excel to Power BI to, to Tableau that let you sort of get a big picture of your data, but you're still looking at just a couple of things at, at a time. So let's say you want to understand uh, what is driving sales in your organization with um we've gone from basic reporting with these are this is how many um how many units we've sold this is how much money we made that's basic reporting analytics might be a little bit more of we made um this number of sales in in october november and so on so forth sort of getting that big picture so you can see the patterns emerge uh analytics but 
AI guided analytics really helps you look at more than that because just seeing your sales numbers go up doesn't necessarily tell you what's driving it. Is it your sales rep? Is it there's something externally in the market? Is it a particular region? Is it the kind of customers you're going after? There are a lot of possibilities in there and that is really difficult to look at when you're looking at one thing at a time. AI, however, is, is great for consuming a lot of information at once and really quickly finding out what correlates. So when we say AI guided exploration, what we're saying is like, yes, let's explore what's driving something that's important to you, like your sales, but let's look at everything that could pot uh, potentially be driving that sales. Is it your pricing? Is it your sales rep? Is it the region? Is it this kind of customer that you're going after? Is it um, the fact that somebody has come through your online app versus your website versus an in-person show? Let's look at all of it together and the AI can actually start to pull out what are the most important factors. So it's about understanding your data and leveraging the power of AI to do it. And, and, and right now, I mean, who are the companies that are really like benefiting from these advancements? Oh, God, it's I mean, honestly, it's, it's endless because I mean, every organization is going to have um, multifaceted problems like there, there's simply nothing in this world that is caused by one thing. There, there are so many things going on, you know, we um, supply chain. There's a number of factors that impact that medical analysis uh, where uh, we, us personally, we've worked um, with medical researchers, both in the U.S. federal government and in, in other public sectors. And in there, um, th that's a really good example of, of a lot of data, different data points, a lot of different, say, symptoms and, and factors. And again, the data is able to, uh, AI is able to pull out which ones really matter. Um, that's one of the reasons actually we were able to um, you know, target COVID so fast. Not, I'm not saying us virtual ethics personally, but in general, AI um, help people process data that much faster. And that is, is moving medical advancements forwards. In terms of business, where we see um, a big uh, advantage is in financial services. Partly, I think finance, the, the finance world is uh, primed to think that way. They think in terms of multiple data points. They understand that there's always multiple factors. So they're they're already kind of thinking that way a little bit. But I would say, you know, any any organization can start um, to realize that there's more than one thing behind any problem, and, and it's really helpful to look at the big picture. Uh, just just on a personal level, I mean, what 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 part of like AI are you most excited about? Oh, what area? Um, what area? I yeah. I mean, I, I do get really excited about the fact that I think it, it can um, help us simplify and cut through the noise and and find things that that are important. Um, so obviously I get excited from a data analysis point of view and, and, you know, I've been in, um, analytics for, for a while and just the possibilities of the more that we can learn when we start applying AI, where we just had basic analytics before that, I think is really, really cool and really, really interesting. Um, so just, just building our understanding, but if we're talking about AI as, you know, in, in the world, uh, I am cautiously optimistic about the idea that we can start using AI to be more even-handed in our decisions or remove bias where bias has existed before. So, I mean, I would say personally, if you ask me, I'm most excited about AI-driven decisions, for example, in, in medical diagnoses and medical treatment where there's existed, you know, a lot of um, bias and just human limitations of knowledge. Um, but I say, I say cautiously because there's also uh, AI is only as good as the data that trains it, and and these historically uh, biased industries, 
you know, where, again, where we can have the biggest benefit, we also have to really work really hard to make sure we train the models properly to not absorb the bias that has existed before. Right. So we recently ran an event and um, there were few scientists there from some of like the major hospitals in the UK. And the people I spoke with there, I'm not going to uh, pretend to understand the depth of what they were doing. They were saying that actually AI is something that will be used to cure a lot of like very horrible diseases. Um, yeah. And it'll be something that will be used to actually detect uh, or essentially have like a prognosis, you know, yeah. years and years in advance. Um, I mean, is that something that, I mean, from your from your experience, is that something you're kind of seeing in terms of AI? Like, wh wh where do you see yeah. the capabilities growing? Oh, yeah, well, it, it's... So the, the AI can detect uh, nuances and, and statistical significance in a variety of places. So, uh, and across, uh, across a variety of factors and, and data columns. So uh, you're absolutely, I do see the fact that it will be able to, to comb through and, um, you know, look at it from a prognosis, you know, what part of the body is it impacting? How do we, you know, narrow down and understand where this disease originates? Um, when is something uh, of significance and should be flagged earlier? And, and so the AI is not uh, unlike a person that has to run through a whole bunch of, of different things in the, from their memory and decide what matters. The AI um, can do it you know, in seconds and isn't going to have the sort of recency effect or the bias effect or, you know, like I, this is probably a cold. Everything I see is a cold, you know, that's the doctor's response Whereas the AI goes, yeah, you know, it's, it, everything looks like a cold except for this one thing. And this one thing is, to, is significant enough that it's this other thing. So yeah, there, there's a lot of capabilities there. I said, I think if we just have to sort of look back at how we responded to COVID and how quickly we, um, we as a, as a world community, not again, not me individually or, or the company, but the fact that is how they were able to narrow down on where, where the virus was acting was looking at all of these hundreds of symptoms that people were seeing and, and, zero in on the commonality and understand where it was acting and how to treat it that was a crazy time wasn't it uh it was it was wild but it was uh it was from that point of view it was kind of fascinating uh, just you know the more data you have and and the more technology like it, it wasn't a surprise that we were able to do it because the, the medical community has been using ai to to explore and understand data for a little while now um and they were just sort of able to, to apply everything they learned um and of course, they had that much more data because everybody was sharing. And, and in terms of yourself, what, what's your background? Uh, um, I have a, a pretty varied background. I haven't always been in product marketing. Um, I've actually spent a lot of time in uh, HR technology space. I was a uh, consultant and consulting manager for a really long time uh, for, for technology. So a lot of human development, um, performance management, um, learning, that kind of thing. And then I made a segue into to analytics for HR and now into uh, AI-based exploration. And, and in terms of, um, of virtualistics, um, obviously, like we've covered the fact that it's a very exciting time for AI. Um, there's AI that is can disrupt every single industry, right? Um, pretty much faster than most people realize. How do you go about product marketing a, a, a company such as Virtualytics? Like, where do you even start with that? 
Uh, it's been really interesting because when I was brought on board, um, we had a very strong practice serving the U.S. federal government and, and our services there have been and continue to be uh, focused on um, disc working with the U.S. federal government to actually build and deploy AI models. So we use our technology to do the data exploration and then our, our centers of excellence work to develop the models and then we deploy the models. Uh, I was brought on to expand um, as part of an effort to expand our sales to the commercial space. Uh, but the commercial space doesn't necessarily need teams of people to develop AI models for them and deploy it. They've got data scientists, um, but we still have a very, um, what we don't still have, what we have is an incredibly robust data exploration tool that has embedded AI in it. Um, so how do we go about marketing that? Well, we had to figure out who is this going to be the most useful to uh, who can leverage it, who can take advantage of it, and how is it going to have a positive impact on the world if um, if we're not actually taking it all the way to build the models, if that's actually going to be done in, in the house um, by, by these commercial enterprises. So we've actually been doing a little bit of experimentation, uh, talking to people, finding out how they're doing business today what um what they value what they don't value where they're getting stuck uh, and where we can we can unstick them uh so we've um what we've learned really is that uh, well we are we knew this sort of going into it there are not enough data scientists to to do all the work that people want to do to really take advantage and leverage all the technologies that we have there just aren't enough we do, however, have a huge number of data analysts. So these are people who are comfortable with data, who can explore data, but they don't have uh, the background to leverage those these AI exploration techniques that I was talking about to look at, um, you know, more than than one or two metrics at a time. And and you have to look at all the metrics if you want to discover all the interconnections and and the drivers and how they work together. So what we've discovered is that we're we can really augment the the business world is by taking this group of data analysts and giving them more power with built-in AI exploration so that they can do more with the data, discover more, whether said it's a big, you know, we've been doing X all this time, we should have been doing Y, Y is a better course of action, or whether it's a, hey, I actually think we have an opportunity to automate here with AI, uh, looks like there's a bit, you know, good business case for it. And lay that foundation and then pass it along to the data science teams that are in place. And, and is, it, is it a case of actually like demoing your product to them? Is it yeah. there? Okay. So, so. Yeah, yeah. We we tend to meet with with the data, the leaders of the data um, analytics groups rather than the individual data analysts themselves and you know, talking to them about the value that, that their teams can bring and we can elevate the value that their teams can bring and start to do a little bit more, walk them through how, how it works, how it looks, uh, because also sometimes it doesn't feel real. It's one thing to talk about being able to understand, um, you know, all this, this complex data simply, but it, talking about it is one thing, looking at it is entirely different. So there's one company, I'm not going to name drop, but there's one AI company and um, I met with their sales guys and I was like, how does the product work? And, you know, like, you know, going through that. It was so complex. Like, I'm talking about the way in which they communicated it. Yeah. I did not have a clue whether or not um, the product was good or not. And oddly enough, it was only when I coincidentally met someone who was a customer of theirs who was using their product um that they were actually able to really like communicate the all benefits of it right and actually yes. how it works it was interesting because i felt that their customers were better at selling their products <laughs> they yeah 
and, and again, it's one of those things where, you know, when people talk about AI, they kind of, I think for the most part, people still think about like robots and the Terminator, right? Um, mm-hmm. and, and then I think that the other thing being is that there's not a distinction between different types of AI, right? Which is yeah. I think for the most popular is one machine learning. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, from a sales standpoint, I have to ask, I mean, how steep is that learning curve, right, with with uh, with virtualytics? Is steep with the sales team or yeah, or the yeah, sales, yeah, the sales team? It it's um, uh, it it can be. Um, uh, sometimes I think um, you know, there there's salespeople should know enough not too much when they start to know too much then they can start to to trip over their tongue you should they should know enough to sell the the business value sell the story and then you pass it on to to a the solution consulting team to to do a little bit more of a of a deep dive and, and answer the questions as needed but no it's it's um it can be a little bit of a challenge to um have them sort of absorb the message that we want to take to to market uh sometimes they become excited about one particular thing and and that's that's what they want to talk about, or they had a really good call, and then, you know the last call informs their next call. Uh, so sometimes getting consistency in place is, um, you know, it's, it's it's a continual effort. I mean, and again, you know, um, um, virtualytics in the news. I, 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 I'm not going to name drop again. I'm waiting for you to see if you do. But uh, there's been some quite exciting partnerships. That, yeah. Um, are, are we able to like jump into who your partners yeah. are? Cool. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. yeah. Sorry. So yeah, please over yeah. to you. So, so um, well, we we've uh, launched a partnership with, with um, uh, Citibank has has invested in, in Virtualytics, uh, which is really exciting. You know, we we actually went to them as an outreach to to sell, and they actually said, "Hey, this is cool enough. I think we'd like to invest." So we have a partnership with Citibank. Uh, um, which is really, yeah, really exciting, both as a, as a partner and and a customer, and, and that you know it's an example uh, of the value that the financial services industry sees in in our solution. And we should have um, uh, should have some more news in, in the in few in a couple of weeks, which should be great. Um, and yeah, we've been working really closely with a lot of a lot of partners that really see the the, the benefit of our solution. And that's it, I mean, what's really exciting is like, it's a hard time to get investment right now. Like, I mean, tech companies are really struggling to get investment. So the fact that City really saw value in in investing with us was was a, a nice sign of confidence. And so, sorry, so, so am I right in saying in in thinking you said that they were a client first? Well, we we started our conversation with them okay. as a client. And then, um, so, so that was the outreach. It wasn't like, uh, we didn't go around to them hat in hand asking for money. We actually said, Hey, you know, we think we'll be a great tool. And they said, you know what? We think you are a great tool, uh, or a great solution. And, and so that's, that's how the relationship happened. Amazing. And so, I mean, I mean, and, and now is that a focus, I guess, um, for virtualistics, is it a case that actually now we don't need to raise money? And instead, we're just going to focus on, on building out our partnership programs. Uh, well, we're um, we're 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 taking both avenues from a from a um, what makes sense. We are actually, you know, we're, we're pretty solid financially, so we do have a very solid federal um, business. Um, so any so the money we get in is going to be investing in more um, um, advancements and and future forward stuff. I, I think I, I actually made the mistake like, with regards to Rayon. I was like, right, mm-hmm. we're not going to raise any money. Yeah. 
100% ourselves. And actually, <laughs> when times get tough, that's when we're going to really like, like we're going to rise to the top. And that's when we raise money. That's when we raise capital. And I have to say that actually, even for a business like ours, it's just yeah. very, very, should we say, the investor like taking a very stringent approach as to how they allocate capital. But so they yeah. should. So they, yeah. should, they should be doing that during the good times as well. Well, yeah, I mean, it was a bit of a, a wild time for the money was getting thrown around left, right and center for a while. And, um, you know, then you'd see these companies who'd had massive investments go public and just <laughs> tank because there really wasn't a whole lot of there there. Um, so yeah, I'd rather work with, with, with yes, uh, smart, smart investment and smart companies. I, I've been very lucky, actually. So I actually get to speak to like loads of CEOs offline. Um and again, it, it's interesting to actually see um, the there's a duality, right, between like raising money, saying, actually, I've raised a load of money, we've done it. But raising yeah. money is an obligation, right? Yes. At some point, yes. on that door, they want their money back, plus some. Yes. Um, so it's been interesting to actually understand the, in this market, the products that really create value versus the ones that have a, perceived value shall we say so yeah 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 and 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 the perceived value is really tricky and that's you know go, circling back to the chat gpt conversation you know we um you know, all of a sudden chat gpt was everywhere and people were slapping it all like, we got a chat bot we got chat gpt and and we're looking at it um people say well what what do you do with chat gpt and we say well hold on like, we it's slapping it on doesn't make a lot of sense. We need to, if we're going to add it, we have to add value. It has to be done safely. All these things like we're not interested in putting something out just because it's, it's the latest, latest and greatest it has to make sense and, and actually serve business value. And um, yeah, that's a line you have to walk because it's so tempting, especially when that's all anybody was talking about. Um, it was really, really uh, hard to be like, we're actually having, we're evaluating this. We're trying to decide what, what makes the most sense for us and what's safe and secure for, for our customers. I mean, and again, I mean, in terms of ChatGPT, can we all, can I ask your opinion on ChatGPT? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we, I mean, ChatGPT obviously as a thing is, is cool. Um, uh, we, we use it to write our social posts because I hate writing social posts. And um, so it's, I mean, it's helpful as a tool, but when we look at it from what our solution does, I mean, our solution is designed to work with your business data. You can't put that into chat GPT. <laughs> you know, we, we cannot use chat GPT because it's not going to keep your data secure, but there's not just that. So, so let's step back and if not chat GPT, then, then a large language model, a private large language model, what, how would you use that? Uh, surely there's a place for that. And th there is, but again, there's still considerations, which is, um, you know, hallucinations. I'm sure you've read about ChatGPT just making things up sometimes because it's designed to do the, put in the next logical thing, right? And sometimes that means making it up. You can't do that if you are using it to analyze data. That is the exact opposite of trying to be data-driven is to introduce something that makes something up because it tells a good story. I right. proudly, I proudly say I got ChatGPT to admit that it could lie. Oh, good for you. Good for you. <laughs> it took it weeks, but we got there. You got there. All right. Good job. Yeah. Um, the other one I also find interesting is that ChatGPT and, and again, large language models like it um, respond to a user prompt, right? So if a user, a natural language prompt, the user what the user has in mind needs to match what the LLM has in mind in order to produce a useful output. Yeah. So 
there are, so you have security, you have hallucination, so ac accuracy in the results and prompts, which means actually directing the LLM to, to actually do what the user intends it to do. Uh, we uh, figure within that, if we can work within those confines, we will be able to, to layer in uh, large language models that will help um, continue to add to the usability of our product, both in terms of uh, using the AI, the, our AI is already no code, um, it's already a click of a button. This just takes it one step further to uh, maybe direct how, which one to use, which algorithm to use to do the particular analysis that they want to do. Uh, and then on the back end to help um, provide more of a, a narrative around the results. So we, again, we already have really intuitive visuals. We already have um, plain language explanations of the visuals that are AI generated. This would add another layer of, of telling that data story, but we want to control for such security, hallucinations, um, and prompt accuracy. So we have uh, we do have a, have a group, a team dedicated right now to to figure out the best path forward. We should have a, an answer for that in the fall. And I mean, I'm going to put it back slightly. Okay. The culture, right? So where are you guys based? Are you all in, are you all in the office? Um, yeah. Uh, no, no. So we're, our, our office is based in Pasadena, California. Quite a few of us are remote. I'm based in Vancouver, Canada. Uh, my, uh, my, my counterparts, uh, the head of, have, head of revenue marketing is in Portland. Uh, my boss is in Ohio and um, uh, Denver is our head of operations. So yeah, we, we've got a few of us around, but headquarters is Pasadena. And I mean, in terms of like how you guys grow, I mean, is it, is it tough or being separate? I mean, again, we're a very, very small team at Rail, and then I've got to be honest, I hate the idea that like, yeah. one person in London, another person in Czech Republic, some other people yeah. in Berlin, some in America. Yeah. It, it's uh, I'd rather just have all of us together. Yeah, that, um, I think it depends on who you are. Again, I mean, me personally, because I came from the consulting world where, uh, you know, you were at a different customer all the time, your, your colleagues were all over the place and you actually never worked side by side with your colleagues. Um, except when you made it happen. Um, I'm very used to being remote. I said, I mean, I've been remote since 2000. So I mean, about 20 years um, I've been remote. Um, so it's very, very normal for me. And it's normal for salespeople in general. And I'm very, I, I'm embedded in, in the revenue team, the sales team. So we're all everywhere. And, and so it's just normal. And you, um, you kind of figure it out. You find times to get together. I, I do think in-person time is, is important. It helps you, um, you know, see how people react or hear the, you know, if, if you've heard my voice, but you didn't know that maybe that's what I, how I sound when I have a smile on my face, for example, you know, it's nice to be able to be, be in person to get that now and then, but um, I'm personally, am fine with remote work. I like being at home. My dog likes me being at home. Mm -hmm. um, I like being in Vancouver. Um, I'll be perfectly, you know, I'm a, I was born and raised in Vancouver, Canada. I don't want to leave. So I'm, I'm quite, but I don't mind working for companies elsewhere. I just don't want to leave Vancouver. I like it here. Um, but also the, I mean, the other advantage you have when you're willing to have people remote is that you do have um, far more pick of talent. Um, you know, our, our head of revenue marketing, like I said, is, is in Portland. She's fantastic. We wouldn't have got her if we were only looking for people based in California. And there's, um, those, those, those hot spots for tech are also hot spots for talent wars. So if you can sort of cast your net a little wider and get used to working remotely, you can make it work. I think the mistake people make when they try to work um, remotely, if they're not used to it, is they have too many meetings. Um, when they don't need yeah, yeah. They try to like, let me see your face. This is how yeah. we're going to do it. I think you need to have, you know, 
check-ins, sure, but then just kind of, you know, let people get their job done. Yeah, so, so what we've done here, which like, right, we try to have like 15 minute meetings, that's it. Yeah. I do, yeah, like, so. like, we have one like scheduled for like nine o'clock in the morning, for, like 15, mm-hmm. they last three minutes and we only do them like once or twice a week. And then yeah. we have like, we have end of day meetings, which, <clears throat> well, I wasn't even on it tonight, you know, like, I, I was like, guys, I've got nothing to add, can't add any value. You guys meet yeah. me. So that kind of thing, you know, if people feel that there's no point attending, sounds yeah. awful. It's like, yeah, just don't attend. You know, so no, you shouldn't. You should totally cancel meetings that don't have any value. Check ins, uh, you know, if they make sense, you know, you can do it before the meeting. Like, yeah, do has anybody have anything to say or can we cancel it this week? People are, oh, people love getting time back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, actually, so talking about that, I'm just talking about people loving getting time back. Salespeople, they love getting time back more than anyone. <laughs> How big is uh, Virtualytics uh, sales team? Uh, we have three commercial reps, two federal reps with a third one coming in. And actually, we do have a headcount. No, no, we don't have a headcount in commercial just yet. Um, so we have three and three. Not that big. Um, so so it's pretty manageable. We can kind of get everybody together, do our, you know, do our revenue calls and everybody going through their deals. And, and that allows also the reps to sort of, you know, help each other out, give some advice, uh, give some comments, insight, learn from each other. And I mean, in, in terms of the company, obviously, like, you know, we've definitely established this exciting time for you guys. Um, yes. What does the future look like? Ooh, the, um, so the future looks like we're going to um, continue to... Um, you know, now that we really identified the data analyst as being our, our target user over the data scientist, uh, we're doing a lot of um, further refinement and investment in, in really making sure that it's a streamlined, usable tool that feels really natural to the data analyst. Because we recognize that while data analysts have worked with data for a long time and done data analysis there, they are new to doing analysis with AI. So we really want to make sure that that's that we're kind of able to bring them through, give them create a product that, that helps guide them through this analysis um, process and, and to work with those results. So from a product perspective, we're really engaged in usability and um, as well as adding new features, uh, taking advantage uh, of large language model technology that that has advanced so far where it makes sense, uh, as well as focusing on the analysis of the data itself, introducing some new techniques there and new visualizations. From the the rest of, of the, the company, I mean, my team, we're running like crazy right now with to get some more uh, content out that explains our point of view. Um, to to introduce people to this idea that data analysts can do more with data and this is how it's done, um, sort of creating a new spot because we don't really fit neatly in the current landscape of uh, data and analytics and AI because we're not, you know, when, pe- again, when people think of AI, they think of deployed models to do something, not AI necessarily to explore. So we're, we're doing a lot of education of the market and trying to carve out a space. Uh, working with the analysts to um, have them understand our point of view and so that they can represent it to other people that they talk about. So um, we're growing our marketing team. We're trying to grow our presence in um, in-person shows, in webinars, um, that kind of thing, and and just sort of creating content that people can consume. And is that globally? Are you trying to um, increase your presence globally or is it just well, in America? So far, we're fo- focusing on North America. Like I said, we'll never say no to, to an um, a lead that comes from outside uh, North America, but in terms of our presence right now, we're mostly focused uh, locally. So two of our, our co-founders are Italian. So we sometimes end up popping up in, uh, in Italy. <laughs> they, they look for reasons to show up there. So why not? Um, but 
but I think you know we're we're kind of keeping keeping an eye on it. But once we have the foundation, the U.S. tends to adopt new technology sooner and faster. So it doesn't really make a lot of sense when you're working with an emerging technology to really try to push it in in Europe until you've really established um, in in the U.S. So again, I'm I'm cards on the table here. I've actually told my team, like, we've, we've stopped having meetings with any, like, English, like, any British companies or European companies. There's yeah. just no point. It's um, it's so funny, like, culturally. Um, so today, um, I had, had a meeting with, like, a, a British company. I've known that we, it was booked in ages ago. We're not booking any new ones. Um, and I've gone through Rayon, what it is that we're doing and so forth. And they must have asked me, like, 50 no, maybe that's an exaggeration. 15. They must have asked me about 15 questions, you know, and I was like, I've probably been through this with these guys. And, you know, they were like, well, you know, we have to like go away and like calculate the ROI. And, you know, you know, we, we don't want to de-risk it as much as we can. <laughs> Got off the course, like that's going nowhere. My next call, an American company, 23 minutes. They're like, yeah, we get it. We love what you're doing. And I was like, you understand this still very early for us. They're like, yeah, we get it. They're like, let's do this. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> it's unbelievable it's just a and, yeah. and, and it, it's that it's that approach though. that's why um, america is the world leader in in software development why is the world in in innovation yeah 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 there's just a lot more uh openness to trying new things yeah to giving things a shot i mean there, there's still obviously you know stratas within the u.s you know some some lines of business are more conservative than than others but yeah in general the u.s is um canada is um canada is more likely to sort of follow suit from the, the u.s they're just you know it's not a, a huge market i can't i've got to be honest with we actually um I, I don't know why um or how rather but you know we've actually done okay in terms of like gaining like new users in canada i think there's been a yeah so yeah we're, we're a lot more tightly knit with the U.S., um, you know, in terms of, of of tech, and actually the the tech business in Canada, there, there's quite a few. I mean, BlackBerry started in Canada. I mean, it, it's BlackBerry's dead now, but at the time, it was super innovative. Um, it was at the time yeah. super innovative. Uh, so yeah, no, the Canadian tech market is actually quite hot, and it's a very very much in lockstep with the U.S. There's a lot of back and forth between it. Listen, I've worked for predominantly American companies, but I have worked for a Canadian company. I tend to kind of go go back and forth. Um, yeah, there are a lot more locks up. It's just that it's not as big of a market if you're selling to sell into Canada. Like it's it, that's a little bit slow, but yeah, if you can establish yourself in North America first, then it's time to go out. Even then it's still slow, um, but at least you ho hopefully have, you know, you've got the referenceable customers from the US to start with. If you try to just go into the to Europe, um, it's really tough. Yeah, and there's a lot of people in America. Like you can just keep selling in America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot, yeah. lot of industry, a lot, um, and they're always looking to be, you know, more efficient and you know, save money, find that 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 edge. Yeah. Well, listen, I, I would say it, it's been very interesting to talk to you. I've got one last question for you. Sure. It's not going to be. Um, it, it's not going to be um, whether or not you're pro AI or uh, anti AI. <laughs> I think that's clear. But I mean, yeah. Where, where do you think overall, in terms of artificial intelligence as a technology, where do you think society can and will take it? Um, big question is the last question, I should say. Uh, that's a big, big question. Where can we, where will we take it? Um, uh, I think 
uh, I think 100% companies are going to try to push it to its limit to save costs and eliminate jobs, sadly. However, I think in doing so, it's going to open up new jobs. That, I mean, that's always been the case. New technology has always led to new kind of jobs, but there's always that rough period of adjustment where people are going to have to learn. So, um, you know, I've, I've got um, I've got kids in school and university. And what I told my daughter um, a couple of years ago, I, she, she was agonizing about what to study. I said, I don't care what you study. What I want you to do is learn how to learn and learn how to change because the world is going to change so fast. So I do think, um, I said, I think AI is going to be exploited as much as possible by businesses to where they think they can eliminate jobs. Um, and I think they're going to learn some really hard lessons there though. I'm not, I don't actually think it's going to be um, a huge win overall. Like, I mean, I'll, already I was reading about one organization that replaced all of their customer success people or, or customer support people with a chat bot and it was a disaster. Um, so I think we're going to see some examples like that. Um, but I do, yeah, I do see us sort of automating things, I, but I think we're going to learn a lot of hard lessons along the way. Um, well, um, yeah, I've got to say, I'm kind of evaluating. I, I'm still on, of the camp of that, uh, that it will create a lot of, a lot of opportunities. Um, but yes, it will, as that's our philosophy right around, you know, we need to use AI and ensure that we do protect the future of the jobs market rather than just let it yeah. deplete, you know, every single process driven job. Exactly. And, and I don't think we should protect it just for the sake of protecting it, just like ATMs um, should have been kept out just so the tellers could keep their job. What ended up happening in it is, you know, bank tellers learned new skills and did new things. And I think we'll see the same thing with, with AI, but it means for the average workforce, I said, like, if you've got kids looking to go into university, you need to don't push them to do a job, push them to learn how to learn and, and because they are going to have to adapt faster than we ever did. Caitlin, it's, uh, it'll be, it's going to be very interesting to see. And uh, thank you very, very much for your time today. It's been uh, great speaking with you. Yeah, you did, Lawrence. Thanks.